Ryan Stanton here with ASEP Frontline. Uh, today we are continuing with our author series. Um, you know, we like to feature some of these great uh, medicine, emergency medicine-based books. And of course, with COVID and the stage now, we can't quite say it's over because we're all still seeing it. But um, with the idea of, of what's going on, um, you know, and, and with everything that we experience, the life of emergency physicians within the uh, within the emergency department. Uh, but uh, this day we're taking a little bit of, of a turn, uh, talking with Dr. Calvin's son uh, with the Monsoon Diaries, a doctor's journey of hope and healing from the ER front lines to the, great title, to the uh, far reaches of the world. So uh, interestingly, so you can't see this. As listeners, you can't see what we're experiencing here. I like to, uh, when we do these Zoom meetings uh, with these uh, guests with their backgrounds. I like to have the face-to-face -face because then I can see some of the visual cues and if they have something they need to add or whatever it may be. But he's actually got a, a, an a incredible background of uh, the sun setting uh, with uh, the stars in the background and folks on top of a ridge. And he may be, give us a little background on that. But uh, uh, welcome, Dr. Sun. Give us a little background of not only your image, but uh, yourself and in getting into this in terms of your life as an author. Thank you for having me, Dr. Stanton. And it's good to be here virtually with ASEP. I wish I could be there in person with you all, but a uh, publisher wants me to stay put because my book happens to have an official release right around that week. So the publisher and I, it's like a marriage. You got to listen to them. Happy, like happy life. But right now I am standing in front of a virtual background of a photo I took three and a half years ago in Mauritania. And it's a bunch of us right on, it looks like a ridge, but it's actually a train carrying coal, but they just dumped the coal and we hitched a ride for free. And we're looking at the sunset over the Sahara. And it was profiled the National Geographic as the backbone of the Sahara. And ever since it's been kind of a Mecca for adventure travel travelers to visit and see for themselves. And it's, it takes coal from the middle of the country, Mauritania, to the coast, uh, as well as iron ore. Actually, it's known as the iron ore train. And in, in return, after dumping the iron ore, they bring back seafood and uh, locals who are using the train as a way to get back to their tribes and deliver food from the coast and sell it. And right now, my physical background, I'm in New York City, born and raised, and been writing for the last, I don't know, how old am I? 29 years since I was six and uh, past 17 years more seriously online. And my life has been a series of fortunate accidents that has now, thankfully, to my surprise and gratitude to becoming a first time debut author about two weeks from now, exactly to this day. So it's, you know, we, and interestingly, the, we, the last two author series we featured uh, with Dr. Jay Baruch being the last one a few weeks ago, uh, we've actually gotten in just before the release of the book. Yours is, uh, it appears that uh, the national release on September 27th, so it's one that you can still uh, pre-order. And if you go to your website, the the calvindsun.com, uh, calvindsun.com, uh, a very dramatic picture um, that you've got on there. Uh, I don't know if you were facing COVID or five rounds with Mike Tyson during his prime, uh, but you got the picture there, and, and you're an emergency physician there in the New York City area, of course, the area that was hit very early with COVID-19, 
Um, and you know, a lot of things that we saw uh, developing that huge first spike that happened when the rest of the country here was still seeing relatively lower volumes before we got the larger no- the larger numbers. And this book, uh, give us a little background on the the impetus of the book and and the uh, the experiences you had um, during the early aspects of COVID nineteen in New York City. So I have this weird dichotomy of a life that I've started since medical school. On one hand, I am an ER doctor, emergency physician. On the other hand, I live this alternate life as an adventurer, travel blogger, where I would leave on the weekends since medical school on a regular basis, just basis, just to get away from it all. And writing during that time in real time. So when COVID happened, obviously traveling was no longer an option. And then it became the adventure I did not sign up for. But how was I to reckon with something that was so new and so overwhelming and also didn't appear to have an end date? Medical school, four years. Residency, three to four years. A trip, one or two weeks, maybe at most three months. There is an end date. When COVID first hit New York, we had no idea how long it was going to last. And the best way I knew how to reconcile that was a habit I had during medical school and residency, which even with an end date, they feel like forever. You still write and you write and you write. And then that became a way of healing for myself and then posting it publicly, which is something I had done before was just a seamless transition. And so many people reading it and following it more than I expected. And the trajectory led to someone approaching me if I wanted to write a book. And the short answer is I did not want to write a COVID book. I knew after this was all over, if there ever will be a day when people are ready to read again, the last thing you want to read is it's about something so traumatic. But I do know that what we went through should be honored and grieved, processed and put on paper. And I couldn't help but reckon with that fact that it was such an important part of our lives for all of us, a shared experience that all of us has had in this generation. And, uh, but rather than making it the main character, I want it to be more of a background character vehicle to ascribe to a way we tell all our stories. And those are all the traumas and experiences and life moments that we've all experienced even before a pandemic that we feel define us. But over time, we realize that even though those things will never change or leave us, our attitudes to those events can change. And that's what defines us as people. And I wanted to use COVID as this universal language that all of us share and experience together as this collective trauma as an example to say, hey, this will never leave us. This is a defining point of our generation. But rather than trying to ignore it, suppress it, move on from it without properly grieving, processing, and understanding what's going on, uh, we need to see it in a way that uh, is, um, instead of something that defines us, more rather than something defines us, it's more something as an opportunity to reframe our lives with more clarity and purpose. Yeah, that's my long answer. No, that's that that's perfect. I mean, and that's you know, I mean, for one, it makes my job easier. But um, you know, for the the aspect of of talking about this topic, and you really kind of bring home, you know, we're we're right after you know nine eleven here when we're recording this. Um, so I guess we're you know nine uh, nine thirteen at this point, and 
you know, you, you mentioned, you know, you're in New York City and all the references to ground zero, but New York City in many ways, New York and New Jersey, were very much the ground zero of early COVID-19 uh, for the United States, uh, where we saw that first huge spike. You know, you saw the early cases in Washington State, you know, in the Northwest, but the real first numbers where we started seeing these news stories of, of, of um, morgue, you know, trailers and, you know, the, the challenges of dealing with COVID-19 and something that we thought that we wouldn't deal with, you know, in, in the rest of the country and in places where I am in, in central Kentucky. But for you, experiencing it as an emergency physician on the front lines, uh, but also as an Asian American, you know, and, and that was, there was a lot of, if there's one human, human trait that is consistent, it is trying to identify a cause, uh, a reason for your suffering. And here in the United States early, there was a lot of challenges with regard to the Asian American community uh, because of uh, the thought that this was a virus that came from China and, and, and somehow there's fault associated with that. Give us some of that experience you had in New York City, which is very much a very melting pot. The evidence, the, the example of the United States of America, this melting pot of cultures, ethnicity, and histories, and past, and baggage, and benefits, and everything that it is. You know, New York, New York City is there, but we still have those very kind of primitive uh, human emotions. Give us that kind of experience you had as you know, Asian American descent with COVID-19 in New York City when we're seeing this huge spike of numbers that the rest of the country wasn't experiencing though, thus far. It's the theme of my life, actually. And I touch upon of it in my book as an integral part of my identity. I don't go too much of it uh, as much as I could in another book about specifically my Asian American identity, but I do reference how, had in my previous answer, there are parts of your identity and there are things that happen in your life that will never leave you. And whether it's a racist encounter or something traumatic where people scape, choose to scape you, goat your identity and create an action or behavior that you feel is totally out of your control, there is a behavior where somebody tends to blame themselves and then assign that blame as something they deserve for the rest of their lives. And writing this book and using COVID as a background character vehicle to tell the story, but also talking about my Asian American identity and referencing my travels and then also the grief over when my father died from a sudden heart attack when I was 19. These are all things that roll around into oh no, this happened, this must be who I am. And we usually leave it as that. And as life goes on, if you revisit those, these incidents with these life events, or even the ability to try to, to define what those events mean to you, the fact that you revisit it is a constant practice to realize that your attitudes to those feelings can change. And as you evolve, as your attitudes evolve, that's what I choose to define who you are as a person, not those events. So for example, with the question about my being Asian American, that was something that I tagged on as a source of shame growing up because growing up different, the inter intersections of identity, 
what makes you different is what you assign as something that defines you. Uh, my privilege as a cisgendered heterosexual man who's six foot one, I don't wake up every day thinking about that. That's my privilege. I don't walk down the street like, I'm a man, I, I, life's great for me. But I do walk down the street every day saying, okay, are they looking at me because I'm Asian American? Are they looking at me funny? Because something happened in my childhood where it was violent, it was abusive, maybe by people I knew and people I didn't know that had to do with my being different. And that was being Asian American. And to order to survive was to ignore that part of me and try to focus on the other parts that weren't Asian American. Now, over time, I did not change being Asian American. I'm still Asian American, but I'm proud of it. My attitude towards that being different is one of, I am grateful for it. I'm here not be, I'm, I got to where I am today, not in spite of being Asian American, but because of it. And that's a reframing of something that we feel felt was never gonna change. And how can we do that? And explore this in the book about how we can apply that to something as traumatic as a pandemic or a lockdown, or when I talk about my dad's death in parts of my book, a loss of a loved one. And you can extrapolate that to a rejection, losing a job, any sort of failure or traumatic loss, or something even positive, a trip that you feel felt was life-changing or didn't yield anything at all. And as you revisit it, if you have the, the self-awareness to understand that it, it may be difficult to revisit things that are difficult, that are hard to process, but if you constantly make it a practice, uh, you will find yourself actually evolving on your attitudes toward it, towards it and hopefully to a healthier place. Many people of our communities, you know, have something that, that's identified that, um, you know, as you mentioned with uh, being of Asian American descent. Um, and, you know, I think that's, we think of that as, as, as a minority position, but it really is the majority. We're all, we, I mean, almost everybody's got something that you see that, that, you know, you know, that may be, uh, you see as different or something that, um, as in this opportunity is either you, you pre, uh, perceive as an anchor or an opportunity. You know, it sounds like where, uh, your approach, and, and I think that's what we translate into COVID-19. I think it's very easy to see COVID-19 as an, as an anchor, as a reason to continue to be challenged, to continue to suffer, but also, but, but really where we can see that as an opportunity. What can we do different? What we can do better? What do we learn from this? You know, how do we, we become better individually and as a country and as a world because of that? And, you know, listening to you talk about that uh, concern about the way uh, folks see you as uh, somebody with Asian American descent versus that trans, uh, transition to it being an opportunity, a gift. Um, how do you see that, those challenges, those differences in each and every one of us? I mean, right now on this, you know, on this Zoom, we've got, you know, three, you know, very different backgrounds, um, you know, Cindy in the background. Everybody can't see her here, Cindy, but she's there. Now I can see her. Um, but, um, you know, there's three very different backgrounds. And, you know, how do you see that, those differences? And really this country is based on that. This country is based on the idea of benefit and greatness through differences. Um, and we as a college, as the American College of Emergency Physicians, with the diversity of who we have as, as members, whether it be, you know, gender, beliefs, backgrounds, whatever it may be, you know, how do you translate that 
those challenges, those differences with COVID-19 as opportunities to grow and actually move forward in a positive manner as opposed to opportunity versus anchor? Question is first, are you ready to make that choice? And the second part is, do you have the tools and language to reframe and take that choice into action? And what I mean by the first part is, you can choose to see something like COVID or an identity that you felt once had held you back or you were ashamed of as a source of resilience or continue to believe that it's a source of why it's holding you back. And if you choose the latter feeling that it's something that is holding you back, then no matter how much you know, reframing or different perspectives or hearing about other people's stories will get you out of that because you've committed to a ladder that you chose to climb on. And it gets much harder to get off that ladder until somebody takes the ladder away from you or the ladder falls, something traumatic. And usually that's a loss of a loved one or a life change or a pandemic that forces you to shift your view of thinking into, well, there could be other ways of looking at the world and living the world. For me, it was my father's death at the age of 19. That's why when COVID came around, I was no stranger to grief. I mean, in between, I've also you know, suffered through a lot of different setbacks that I talk about in the book, uh, but also created a, a choice to accept that life is full of chaos. There's nothing you can do to control it. We tend to create all these contractions to make sure our life is as stable as possible. And that's where like the universe is something outdoor, just life inherently, just in our work as an emergency physicians in the ER, they just laugh at you. It's like, you can try all your best, but we will create a mass casualty incident or, you know, the, all these, it's, it's Friday night and it's the full moon. And you just have to work with the flow. And instead of trying to make everything as pristine, as perfect as possible, like a house of cards, you, you'd learn, you choose instead to be adaptable. And for me, that was to run towards the discomfort and that's how I committed every weekend that I had two to three days off in med school or residency to fly out of the country. I would try to find the cheapest flight out that was under $200, you know, something that would be cheaper than Sunday brunch or going to Vegas or, you know, a ski trip. And I would fly out Friday and try to come back Sunday. And people thought I was crazy. And I did that consistently throughout med school and residency because it was the only way I knew how to accept that life was chaos. I might as well just embrace it uh, rather than trying to put out all these fires. And so by the time something like COVID came around, I was very comfortable with being uncomfortable. I was still uncomfortable, but it was a way of me saying, I don't know when this is going to end. I've lost my source of healing, which was traveling. And even such, I will still do my best. And us phys emerging physicians, through residency, we created the habit of always embracing the chaos. The problem this time was we didn't know when the chaos was ever gonna end. That actually brings up a, an incredible and a, a nice point because part of this book is about the fact that you visited 190 countries in a 10 year stretch. Um, you know, most people probably wouldn't even believe we got that many around the world, but uh, yes, that does, that does exist. Um, and those, those travels, and you mentioned, you know, how you kind of put that together um, with taking those few days to travel out of the country and to see different aspects of the world. Um, and you've touched on it a little bit already, uh, but 
you know, how with those 190 countries, with those experiences of different cultures and different people and um, different environments and, you know, different structures of the way things are done, whether politically or, or whatever it may be, you know, what do you learn from that that you transition to, you know, not only a city where you have many of those cultures already involved that are really kind of amalgamating into the U.S. experience to the American experience, uh, but also to, you know, around this country where we have many of those cultures, many of those folks, you know, with that transitioning, um, you know, with, with that work in the front lines of emergency medicine. It's really funny because I hated the idea of traveling growing up as a New Yorker because I felt the whole world was going to come to me anyway. So what was the point of spending all that money to visit places you're never going to live in because New York City was the best city in the world? And that's that was my attitude as a you know entitled college kid who just lost his dad and tried to be as defensive as possible that life was going to be okay, life was going to be okay. You know, at least I'm in New York and the idea of traveling never occurred to me or it's to its, to its value simply because no one ever introduced it to me uh, as a concept of realizing that everyone's wrong about everything. And it's another form of education. Don't get me wrong. I've went on family vacations, but it was always through the lens of the family and what my parents, my father chose to see. And that's a privilege to be even to travel at a young age, but I never traveled alone nor did I want to do that until a series of fortunate accidents. I lost a bet while bartending. And 36 hours later, I was in Egypt with the girl I lost the bet to. And obviously, I still hated it because uh, I was uncomfortable. We, after we you know, had our two days in Egypt and she had to spend time with her family, I ended up spending two and a half weeks, three weeks alone by myself. And... I spent the first week just wanting to go home. And I many times thought about changing my flight to go back home. And every waking minute was, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. And what I realized was, it wasn't so much the seeing the world as a melting pot and so many other different cultures and how there's no such thing as right or wrong. That's all something that comes with traveling if you open your mind to that perspective. But really it was a, 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 an environment that created a a place for me to look up myself as if I was surrounded by mirrors. And I, looking back, I wasn't, I didn't realize at the time, looking back that first week was very stressful for me, not because of the inherent dangers of being in a place that you've never been to before, but the fact that I didn't like myself. I didn't like what I was seeing from all the mirrors surrounding myself because it was the first time I was totally alone. I didn't know anyone. Nobody knew me. I didn't speak the language. I couldn't even understand the things on the billboard. I could turn on the TV and I couldn't understand it. And that was the first time ever that where I could actually be in a space where the only person I could talk to was myself. And the fact that I hated that speaks so much to, I really don't know myself. And this is the guy that was, I will never leave New York. New York is the best city in the world. I'm a New Yorker, born and raised, to the point where it's like, I can't even stand being alone five minutes to myself because there's no one else to talk to. It wasn't until the third week when I was coming back and I was like, oh, I get it. This is why people travel. Not so much to see other cultures and to learn about other things. That's comes with that comes with the, the back of the packaging. But what people don't know until after it becomes a practice and you look back, you see how much of a person you've transcended in your identity. You don't change as a person. You just see more of a side of yourself that you never were as aware of. And I think that's the irony of traveling to all those places. 
which is the, also the arc of the book. Uh, when we talk about COVID and me wanting to get out of the ER and not wanting to be there, but me coming back over and over and over again, trying to understand why I was constantly going back, right? We all know what we do. This is, a, I, I know you're an emergency physician or working in the ER. You don't need another book to tell you what to do in the ER. This book was written of what I was thinking, how we think, what was compelling us to keep going back. And even we knew we were putting ourselves in harm's way, even if we didn't want to be there because we didn't know when this was going to end. And we were just pouring from empty cups without any ability to you know, live with our families because of a lockdown and fear of hurting them or traveling. We were still constantly going to work. And to me, that arc was to then realize that all that traveling wasn't to get away from things, but to actually arrive at where you are already, to realize that you already have everything you need to be to be happy, to be fulfilled. And the journey is for, for all the necessary things you do externally is really a journey within internally to see what you already have, not necessarily to acquire something external. I think a lot of those stories resonate, you know, with uh, putting in prose, you know, what many of the physicians um, and healthcare folks have, wit have experienced out there, and especially now that uh, across the country, you know, we may be out of kind of the a laser focus on COVID-19, but now just these ex huge expanding volumes within our emergency departments. And, but I find it interesting, you know, with your discussion of the world travels, you know, my wife and I just last week uh, got back from Italy. We took our 20th anniversary trip to Italy. I'd never been there before. And, you know, for me, um, you know, you mentioned going to Egypt, you know, kind of not being able to connect with everything around you and kind of being that uh, focusing in on, on self, you know, for me, it was being in Italy was super relaxing because with that language barrier, I didn't feel like I had to hear what was going on around me because I couldn't understand it. I didn't have to listen to it. So I could just kind of stay in the moment with myself and with my wife and, you know, we could talk about things. And, you know, for us, it was, it was very much that kind of being able to push out the noise that's been the last two years of COVID and emergency medicine and, you know, with her clinic as a, as a physician as well. And, you know, everything here locally uh, in central Kentucky, even though it's a great place, um, you know, just kind of pushing that stuff aside, you know, and it took me about five days. And I think we actually talked about, you know, briefly um, before we got started, it took me about five days before I was able to just kind of release everything here in the U.S. and work and everything else and then just relax and just chill and, and just enjoy a beautiful country and a beautiful people and, you know, great food and, of course, the wine and everything of that nature. And I think that's important. I think that's, you know, something that's, that's integral for us as humans is to experience other places, other cultures, that it's not just where we live. It's not just central Kentucky or New York City. It's not just United States. It's, you know, so much about this world is amazing. And so I think that is a really important thing that people do is to travel. Now that we have this opportunity, uh, that there's not as many restrictions at the moment, um, is to get out there and see many parts of the world. So, you know, kind of give us not only kind of a, a wrap-up summary, uh, you know, of those experiences, thoughts, comments on, you know, on my response, but also uh, we only, we'll wrap with uh, the idea of where we're going to get this book because it's going to be a few days after we release this. For many folks, it's going to be while you're in New, uh, in San Francisco for ASEP uh, 22. You have the opportunity. You can go ahead and pre-order it, uh, but having it available, and then, of course, we're going to pull you in down the road anyway. I know you can't 
for uh, ASAP 22, but that doesn't mean we're not going to have 23. So um, give us thoughts and, and, and wraps and, and where we find these things. Sure. And it's funny, you took, it took you five days. I wish it took me that quickly. It was three weeks for me when I was like, oh. So, uh, but yes, I, I agree. If you're listening to this and you're an emergency physician, I assume that you're all like us with a little bit of uh, undiagnosed ADHD or diagnosed, and you're constantly fed with all these external stimuli. And then when you get off of work, you're always on your phone and social media. And it's very hard for us to unplug because our job is to stay aware of everything. And then you travel with the right frame of reference. Don't just travel and just expect your life to be better. You have to travel with purpose and intention. Even if that intention is, I don't know, I'll keep my mind open. That's an intention to go in and just realize that there's a world and there's a space where you cannot acquire it back at home, where you can truly be in your, on your own, devoid of all that distractions that we have back home, stepping away from the painting. It's nice to go up to it and see all the brushstrokes but sometimes nice to step back physically to actually get away the bird's eye view of the big picture and look at how beautiful the painting is that you already have back home. And then when you go back, that's when you are mentally and you know, maybe not physically because of jet lag, but mentally recharged. And that's what we need more of. And for finding this, just one perspective of how to get to that point, my book does go to the whole how, not just what, but how and showing that telling. I came to this realization and it's an ongoing process and you can find it on myname.com with my middle initial calvindson.com or the title of the book without the, the monsoondiaries.com. And that's also an opportunity for you to come on my trips because what we do is not just me traveling and blogging about it, but I take my readers along with me and I do all the work for you. You just have to show up and it's loosely ad hoc plan so that there's nothing where you have a tour bus or a flag to follow. The trip is yours and we create our own adventures on a monthly basis. If you don't want to, if you don't want a reader, then come on my trips. If you like to read, then there's a book for that. So you can live vicariously because a lot of the book is also my writing about my travels and how it held me to the standard of showing up to work every day. And also what I went through it during the lockdowns and relying on my past travels to endure that when drops dried up and we ended up not having as many shifts as we wanted uh, or wanted to work after in the, uh, in the springtime. Um, so you can buy this book anywhere that bookstores sell books. It is an international release on September 27, 2022 by HarperCollins. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, if you support indie, so indiebound, bookshop.org, books a million, they all sell it. Uh, if you want to go to Target and Walmart, they also sell it. That's, I didn't know they even sell books, but it's out there and please support your fellow author. And just, we want the world to know what we went through because the biggest fear I have is that we go through this again. And, you know, the world has a short memory uh, span, attention. They have, they have suffered some short-term memory loss of anything. And that we wonder like, where were you this whole time uh, when this, if this, when this happens again, the world needs to know. And this is just one of many, many voices that needs to be heard. And I'm grateful to have been chosen uh, to represent part of that narrative. Well, we appreciate uh, the time. Uh, we mentioned uh, the CalvinDSun.com, also MonsoonDiaries.com. Um, and interestingly, what I like is, you know, it's just not about the book, as you mentioned, Monsoon Diaries, uh, the memoir, but 
coming up here, but you also have your dates to your, to your next adventure for us here at 60, hours and nine, uh, 60 Days and 19 Hours until the next adventure, which for everybody released, I guess that'll be 54 days and 19 hours uh, from the time I release uh, this podcast. Um, so, you know, those fantastic adventures, it has uh, lists of upcoming trips as well as your past trips, some of the abouts, uh, the reviews, which I'm sure will be rolling in even uh, more. Uh, check out your favorite bookseller uh, to get either pre-order or to pick up this if it happens to be uh, after the release date. You know, it's a, a fantastic opportunity. I think is one of the most important things we've seen is, is many talents within emergency medicine physicians finding their stride as authors and being able to tell the stories that each and every one of us experience on a daily basis. You know, I'm, I, I do media stuff, but I am not a writer. Um, you know, it, it just my experiences working with ABC News uh, writing was that, you know, it's not my forte. Um, but, you know, having uh, folks like yourself that can tell these stories and to give our experiences and, and to put a narrative to the world and life of emergency medicine and our experiences around the world, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. And, and we really appreciate it and glad you're able to join us. And I do encourage everybody to check out the Monsoon Diaries, monsoondiaries.com. I did just get a little bit uh, seasick in terms of a, a moving picture in the background that flipped upside down. And uh, so I wasn't quite ready for that. Um, so I may be a little bit nauseated and you just, somebody jumped out of a plane, may have been you. Uh, but uh, really, really appreciate that, and uh, thank you for your time. And, um, and any other uh, closing thoughts, uh, contact information, uh, other than uh, catching you on your website or on Monsoon Diaries? Yeah, follow me on social media. That's where I do most of my live stuff, and I do blogs live still when I'm traveling. And that'll be Instagram, Monsoon Diaries. Twitter, I rarely on, but still do. Facebook. It's all M-O-N-S-O-O-N-D-I-A-R-I-E-S. And yeah, let's, we're all part of the same team. The world shouldn't forget what we went through, sacrificed, and worked so hard for. And some of us didn't make it, and we need to honor their memory. And you know, let's make this what we experience as emergency physicians. The spotlight was on us for a little bit, and it's moved away. And that's okay. We didn't ask for it, but we did do the work. And let's make that work institutional memory. And the best we can do is support each other. And hopefully this is one of those ways if this podcast episode resonates with you. Talking with Dr. Calvin's son with the Monsoon Diaries, uh, a, a memoir. Um, the official title of Calvin is The Monsoon Diaries, A Doctor's Journey of Hope and Healing from the ER Frontline to the Far Reaches of the World. 190 countries visited. It makes many of us jealous uh, thinking about uh, those wonderful trips, but uh, you know, reminded me just last week of spending time in uh, Italy and looking forward to my next trips coming up. So check it out. Get your book ordered, uh, whether pre-order if you're catching this early enough, or uh, go ahead and hop on and get your copy. Uh, it is released officially September 27th, 2022. So the podcast is going to be released prior to that. Um, and um, uh, but based on when you listen to it. I do encourage you to check out the websites. Um, I'm not sure, sure who your publicist is, but they've uh, put up here some pretty dramatic photos of you. Um, and so check those out as well. Uh, as for me, you can contact me at uh, your everyday medicine at gmail.com or rstanton at asep.org. 
I'd probably encourage that rstanasap.org. It's a little bit easier. Or in, at Everyday Med on Twitter. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you enjoy. We're, we're hopefully on all of them. If you don't catch us on all of them, let us know, and we will make sure we make that happen. Uh, but until next time, I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton, and this has been some ASAP Frontline. If you're not on the front lines, you're on the sidelines.